Amen, amen. Good morning. Welcome to Faith. This this Lord's Day, we're in a series on the, the Old Testament prophet Micah. Justice and mercy. The, I'm calling him just the country preacher. He's a country prophet. He was in the, from the little village of Moresheth Gath, a little map here of Moresheth Gath, I believe. It's uh, <clears throat> on the foothills of the mountains of that were west of, of Jerusalem. Um, <clears throat> today we're in chapter 4. He talks about the mountains in this chapter. The mountain he talks about is the mount, maybe he gazed at that mount as a kid, the mount uh, where the, eventually at the top the temple of God was erected, God's temple. David's son Solomon <clears throat> built the temple. In the dedication, he reminded everyone that although uh, this, this was a place where God's presence on earth was manifested, God cannot be con- confined to a place. He's everywhere. <laughs> He's the, the Lord of all creation. Nevertheless, this is where the glory of God in a special way rested, dwelt, where he promised to show up at special times of celebration for his people. The Old Testament. <clears throat> so Solomon's beautiful temple <laughs> was, was, was the pride of the Jewish people. And, and Micah has some bad news for them. The temple is going to be taken away by pagans. It's going to be ransacked, destroyed. And this was unheard of, um, <clears throat> but that's what he said was going to happen. So that, that, that temple at the top of that mountain was, was not going to be there uh, on and on and on. You know, I was, most of you know I was raised in D.C. My parents grew up in southwestern Virginia, um, Danville, Virginia, and a little town called Big Stone Gap. I know no one's heard of Big Stone Gap, but that's a very small town. Route 58. And I remember as a kid, we'd go to Danville during the summers, and some summers we'd go from Danville to, to Big Stone Gap. And that was my first experience of mountains. When you're a kid, you know, you're, you're, you're all packed in a car, and, you're, and Dad's driving through the mountains, and my dad was from, he's from the mountains, so he was used to driving mountains, so he went kind of fast, you know? And I, I learned after the first time, don't sit by the windows. Let my sisters sit, my older sister sit, because you look down, and it's just a long fall. My memory, there's two things I remember about those rides. One was looking down and seeing the long fall. The other was my mom saying, slow down, Jimmy. I remember this, but, but yeah, it, you know, summers we would go from those winding mountain roads of, of southwestern Virginia. Mountains. <clears throat> I'm sure very often Micah looked up at the mountain and thought, what's going on up there? He knew what was going on up there. Maybe during feast days he went up there with his family. Our text is, is Micah 4. Let's, 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 let's see what this text says and as we see about mountains and, and, and what God's going to do. Micah 4, there's 13 verses here. <clears throat> it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and it shall be lifted above the hills, and the people shall flow to it. And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples and shall decide for strong nations far away. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. 
But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall be, make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. For all the peoples walk, each in the name of its God. But we walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. And that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather those who have been driven away and those whom I have afflicted. And the lame I will make the remnant, and those who were cast off a strong nation. And the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. <clears throat> and you, O tower of the flock, hill of the daughter of Zion, to you shall it come. The formal dominion shall come, kingship for the daughter of Jerusalem. Now why do you cry aloud? Is there no king in you? Has your counselor perished that pain cease you like a woman in labor? Writhe and groan, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in labor. For now you shall go out from the city and dwell in the open country. You shall go to Babylon. There you shall be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. Now many nations are assembled against you, saying, Let her be defiled, and let her eyes gaze upon Zion. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord. They do not understand his plan, that he has gathered them as sheaves to the threshing floor. Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion, for I will make your horn iron. I will make your hoofs bronze. You shall beat in pieces like uh, many peoples and shall devote their gain to the Lord, their wealth to the Lord of the whole earth. God's word. <clears throat> My title is simple. Come to the temple. Come to the temple. Now, God, God, God is sovereign. He is sovereignly determined to bless his people. His chosen people, he's, he's, decided, he's decided to bless his chosen people for his glory and for their blessing. And he is gathering, he is ruling, he is teaching, he's restoring, he's empowering, he's protecting, he's sanctifying, he's giving his people a desire to follow his spirit with love for him and for others. All that's to his glory and to our joy and blessing because we are part of that chosen that, that chosen people. We're looking at the book of Micah. I have a chart that you had last week, that chart about the book. We're in chapter 4, which is the second section of the book. And as we've said, Micah flows from a, a section of, of judgment to a section of hope. Last week we looked at the second section of judgment. Today we're, we're going to start the second section of hope. And this is a passage of hope. That he, that, he, that he gives during he, these many oracles uh, in the book. <clears throat> the end of chapter 3, we saw Jerusalem in a ruins. And the temple mountain was just a wooden structure. It was an old shack, a wooden shack on the hills. Not the beautiful place where the living God met his people. But that's not the last word. That's not the last word. God will restore the city. He'll restore the temple. He'll restore his people. The, the, this mountain prophecy... Is almost word for word the same as Isaiah chapter 2. Isaiah was Micah's contemporary. He was more urban than Micah, who was more country, more rural. Today, today in fact, they'd probably, one of them would be accused of plagiarism. Maybe both of them, I don't know. It's word for word almost. Which one was the original? We're not sure. We're not, scholars aren't sure which one was the original. I tend to think that probably it was Micah because he's the one who was rural. He's the one who grew up with a mountain in his uh, windows of his village. I can only imagine him just thinking about the high places. The mount, the, the, you know, the high places in, in, in that part of the, of, of the world, the ancient world, the high places was where worship went forth, but some of that worship, much of that worship was false worship of idols. You know that. 
in, the, in, in those hills where, where sacrifices to other gods, pagan gods, was being done, um, the high places. In Israel's history, we see that people were often tempted to engage in that kind of idolatrous worship in the high places. But the high place that Micah is talking about here is, is Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah, where Abraham took Isaac, his son, centuries earlier, and where they were told later in Chronicles to put the temple, Mount Moriah. Jerusalem, top of that mountain, often called by its nickname, Zion. City of God. The beautiful city of God, the psalmist calls it. This is a totally different high place. This was the high place where the God of the universe met with his covenant people. Now, this Micah prophecy, like many Old Testament prophecies, this mountain prophecy has multiple fulfillments. There's, a, there's an immediate fulfillment to, to the exiled people of the, the 8th century B.C. And, and, and the return uh, uh, to the land after the captivity. Secondly, there's a gospel fulfillment in the time of Jesus Christ. A gospel fulfillment in the ingathering and the enfolding of the nations into God's covenant people that Romans talks about. And, and then there's a future fulfillment in the last days, the, the, the end of the last days, when Christ returns to consummate the kingdom and to usher in the new heavens and the new earth. God's chosen people, Israel, but not just ethnic Israel. We are engrafted, the Gentiles engrafted, it says, into Israel. By faith, we embrace God's covenant of grace. And, and, and so we're engrafted into the people of God. Now, <clears throat> my outline. The Lord is gathering his people. The Lord is teaching his people. And the Lord is ruling his people. He's gathering us because we're lost, we're scattered. He's teaching us because we're unwise, we're ignorant, we just don't know. And he's ruling us because we need to be ruled. We're rebellious. We're idolaters. First, the Lord is gathering his people. The passage begins. It's a come in the latter days. The latter days, if we know from the New Testament, began when Jesus came. <laughs> Hebrews, the first chapter, talks about in, in the old days God spoke to his prophets, but in these last days he's spoken to us through his son. The latter days began in Jewish time, the former days of the air when it's just the Jews, and the latter days is when Messiah comes. Jesus came, the latter days. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord is established. So verse 1 begins there, gives us a time frame. So the Lord gathers exiles. He's one who gathers exiles. Um, talks about remnants. We saw that word remnant. Uh, we've seen it also in chapter 2. God gathers remnants. You know what remnants are? They're, they're leftovers, right? <laughs> you, know, you know, you have a, a, a nice big piece of carpet, and you, you, know, you, you trim it, and then you have some remnants. They're the leftovers, but they, you can still use them for a little, little pad or whatever. Remnants. Um, that's who we are, folks. Congratulations. You're a leftover. <laughs> You're a remnant. When it comes to food, we like leftovers, don't we? So leftovers aren't always bad. Drop down to verses 8 to 11, because it's talking about the exiles, gathering the exiles more there. In verses 8 to 11, it depicts them in more detail. It depicts them as a, as a woman in labor. They're, they're in labor. He calls them daughters of Zion. It's going to be delivered in the proper time. 
Just look down here. It says, uh, uh, you shall go out from the city and dwell in the open country. You shall go to Babylon. Now, that's interesting because at this time, it was the Assyrians who were the threat. The Assyrians were the one who were coming through the land. The Babylonians hadn't taken over the Assyrians yet, and yet Micah knows what's going to happen because Micah is a prophet of God, amen? And he knows that the Babylonians are going to take over the Assyrians, and the Babylonians are the ones that are going to come to Jerusalem, not the Assyrians. And you might remember from the book of Daniel, the first chapter, the book of Ezekiel, where it was the Babylonians who came in 587 B.C. So they were exiled to Babylon for 70 years, a season of discipline, a season of chastening. But it would not last forever. The Lord regathers the exiles. The Lord gathers the nations. The nations. We see the nations several times. Many nations shall come. There's, so it's not just the Jewish people who are exiled that's part of this regathering. It's the nations. They're enemies. Beyond the borders of Israel. Beyond just their friends. The nations. Even the nations who they didn't have relationships with, or the nations who they were enemies. They will be part of this in-gathering. Something else about the gathering. He gathers the broken. Look at that. Verses, drop down to 6 and 7. Those who are broken in that day declares, Lord, I will assemble or gather the lame. And those who, who have been driven away, those whom I have afflicted, the lame, I'll make the remnant. This idea of, of of, of uh, the, the, the scholars say that this, this, that this imagery here of, 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 of the shepherd, again, Micah being very rural, shepherds would have sheep, and sometimes the sheep would be lame, and, and they'd have to be carried and all that. And that's the picture several times in Micah uh, of, of, of God, God's flock, God's people being a flock. And we see illusions of that in the, in the Gospels, don't we? And Jesus' mission of preaching and, and building the kingdom it's clearly understood that he's gathering a flock, a flock, because he's the great shepherd. Matthew 9, it says, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Remember that? In Matthew 10, it says, he went to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Matthew chapter 11. This is interesting. When John was in prison, he heard that about the deeds of the Messiah. He sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who's to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. What's he saying? He's, he, he's saying that, that, that I am the great shepherd, and I'm the one who heals the broken. Jesus, you see, is the one who came in this gospel fulfillment to, to gather the broken from the nations, not just from Israel, God's Old Testament people. And so even Matthew 28, the, the Great Commission, after the resurrection, Jesus is gathering his people from all the nations. The interesting thing about, the, about, about that, the, um, the um, commission, Great Commission in Matthew, that again, it starts... Jesus says, go to that mountain in Galilee. So it, it starts at a mountain. Something about mountains in Scripture. High places. Jesus, they gather a mountain, and he gives this great commission to go and make disciples of the nations, to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to teach all that he's commanded. 
And that's our, that's our call. That's our commission from our Lord and our King. You know, in a, in a pluralistic society like ours, is that mandate still ours? Is mission still appropriate? It's a good question for us to wrestle with. Let me give you the answer. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. God is still building his church. Remember the parable of the sower, the soils? He sold seed and spread the seed out. And said it bears fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. He is gathering through the proclamation and the demonstration of good news to his people who are to be gathered. And he does it through his people who are gathered. So we have confidence that, 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 that evangelism is still our calling and we're to be uh, very much a part of what we do. A couple applications of this first, this first thing here, that God is gathering people. Do you believe that Jesus is the way to God? Do you believe that? Or do you believe that all roads really lead to God if people are sincere? Do you believe that we need a sacrifice because we're sinners? Do you believe that? Or that Jesus is that sacrifice? Another application. He's gathering us, and he's found us, and that, and, that, and that is who we are. That is the essence of our identity as followers of Jesus Christ, the fact that he has found us. Do you understand that? Do you understand that that, that, that is radical? Many think that, the, that the, the essence of their identity is that they have found him. A little flip there, isn't it? He has found us. It wasn't that I was able to figure things out. It was that God showed me how to figure things out. I was thinking about the sovereignty of God. I just had a birthday a few months ago, uh, last month. I was thinking about the sovereignty of God. You know, God, God is sovereign. Well, God is sovereign over the fact that I was born in 1954 and not 1854 or whatever. Not, 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 the, think of the sovereignty of God in your life that'll blow your mind. I, I just think things of my family. You know, I had four sisters. I had a brother. My mom, my mom miscarried. My wife says quite often, if you'd had a brother, you'd be different. Now, I don't know what she means by that. <laughs> I don't want to go there. If you had a brother, you'd be different. <laughs> God is sovereign. Do you believe that, saints? You, you believe that God is, is in control. See, we're Americans. We believe in democracy. We believe we have a power to to, to make things happen. And we do. We have a little bit of power. But more than being Americans, folks, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you have a king. The king who reigns and controls even more than we Americans who think we have control. See, we didn't gather ourselves. God gathered us. God is sovereign. The fact that you were in Baltimore in 2019, worshiping here on this day, it's not a mistake. God is sovereign. We can say more. God is gathering his people. Second, God is teaching his people. He's teaching his people. Verse 2 says that, that we may know his ways. We may know his ways. God has ways. And how do we know the ways of God? We look at his word. His word reveals his ways to us. I think of Matthew chapter 5, when Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount gives us great insight into the ways of God. Again, the law of God in, in, in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, coming from the mountain, the Sermon on the Mountain. 
The law coming from a mountain, we think of Sinai in the Old Testament. We think of Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount in the New Testament. The law coming from a mountain. In, in Matthew 5, Jesus clarifies Old Testament law for us. That, that they might walk in his paths, walking in his paths. In contrast to walking in the name of the other gods. Jeremiah 31, great prophecy of the new covenant. Um, Jeremiah 31 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the new covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. Okay? I will put the law within them. That's you and me. And I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. I will no, no longer shall one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. I will forgive their iniquity. I will remember their sins no more. That's this new covenant promise that Micah is, is anticipating in this mountain prophecy. This very important aspect of the New Testament teaching about God is that the Holy Spirit of God will be inside of us helping us, giving us understanding, giving us desire, giving us strength to want to obey God. That's a very important New Testament truth. God is not just says, here's what you need to do, do it. He says to, to believers, here's what you need to do. I'm going to empower you to do it. I'm going to give you the strength because you really don't have the power to do it. So we need to trust him daily. Trust him daily. That they might proclaim his ways. Proclaiming his ways. See, we, 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 he wants us to know him, to walk in him, that we might proclaim his ways. First Peter 2. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That you may proclaim. The excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy... Now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Sounds like Matthew 5, 16. They see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. That's what Peter's exhorting us to do as God's chosen people, engrafted into Israel here in the New Testament. God's chosen people. Later in 1 Peter, in your hearts, honor Christ as Lord, set apart, sanctify Christ as Lord, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you. Do it with gentleness and respect. Be ready to share why you believe what you believe and why you have hope. In the Lord Jesus Christ. Be, be ready, be equipped to give a word of witness. The Lord is teaching his people. How do we know God's ways? By going into his word. How, how much of God's word are you getting into your life? Read his word with confidence. That he wants you to understand not only what he says, but that he's the one that's saying it. He wants us to obey what he said because he said it. Because it's the pathway to our joy and our blessing. 
beware of, 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 of as, we are teach, as we are taught, beware of a false understanding about the mountain. Let me go here. Uh, the, the, in, in a religiously pluralistic world, there's, 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 there's sometimes the idea of a mountain that you might hear in a high school class or a college class that, um, that God, that yes, there's a mountain, there's a mountain at the top of the mountain, there's God, and, and all roads on the mountain lead to the top. Maybe you've heard that. You heard that before? That all paths, all faith systems will ultimately lead to heaven. This is the view of what we would call liberal Christianity, which doesn't believe the scriptures completely, yet seeks to be a faith system. This is in great contrast to the biblical view of this mountain of God. There are some mountain paths, faith systems that lead to dead ends. We have to understand that. That's tough to say in a, in a society like ours, but it's what the scriptures teach us. The kingdom of God is always, always Christ-centered. It's a Christ-centered concept. Otherwise, we wouldn't have 26 missionaries we send out. But why? The kingdom of God is Christ-centered. Are you learning personally with others? Jesus wants to teach you his ways, to teach you his word, that you will be on the right path. And we find his ways, we find his heart by rightly dividing the word of truth. He's gathering, he's teaching, and lastly, he's ruling. He's ruling, he reigns. The reign of God, verses 3 and 4, and then jump down to verse 7, the, the sovereign rule over all creation, even over the heathen who reject him. God is ultimately sovereign over all things. The ancients thought that each group had their own local deity. That's kind of the ancient way of thinking. The Canaanites had their God. The Egyptians had their God. The Babylonians had their God. They had their own religious structures, their own beliefs. And, and the God of Israel was seen by many as just another local deity. And that's something in the Old Testament, as you read the Old Testament, to be alert to. That, that, that Yahweh, the old, Jehovah, the Old Testament God, is constantly trying to get them to... to, 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 to um, to, to stop believing that he is just a God, but he is the God. And that the idols are not gods. He's ruling over his people. He, rule, he rules. He, he judges the nations because he's the God of the nations. Uh, N.T. Wright, the theologian, says this. When God acts as Israel believes he will, it will not be to only rescue his people, but to establish his sovereign rule over the world. I mean, that's what this, one of the things this prophecy is saying. The nation's going to be uh, impacted by this. So we have to have a contrast of Mount Zion versus the high places of, of the false worship of Baal, of, of Molech, of Dagon, of the other, other uh, idols uh, of that area where sadly child sacrifice was a norm. Sacrifice to the false gods. A great story, if you don't know much about that in the Old Testament, is in 1 Kings chapter 17. That's a story where idolatry was, was running rampant, and Elijah's the prophet. And it's, I, I, had a, I once read a little book about that chapter. It was simply called The Battle of the Gods. <laughs> and in that chapter, you have the gods of Baal and Yahweh, and there's a great battle that takes place, and Elijah is the, is the leader. And I'm not going to go over the whole story. Read the story. It's a humorous story, but it's a story that, that, that we need to understand that the, the Old Testament God, Yahweh, is not saying that, that he's just one of many gods. He is the creator God over all gods. He's victorious God. 
this rule, this reign, it's a, it's a gracious reign. This kingship is gracious because the king's character, his gracious, loving character. It's a kingdom of forgiveness and love, not just power and authority. That's why I said he'll, he'll deal with our iniquities. In Matthew chapter 18, great story where, where, where Peter was trying to understand something about this kingdom. He said, if I, if I give, do I give my, forgive my brother seven times? Because he understood there was something good about Jesus that was going to go further than the norm. Jesus says, no, no, no. You want to forgive your brother 70 times? seven." This is the kingdom where there's great forgiveness because the king is one who has great forgiveness. N.T. Wright again says, Israel's God would return to be with his people, to rescue them, to restore them, to condemn their oppressors, to take charge, to do justice, to sort things out. To rule over them like a king should, but unlike any actual human king that they had known. He's ruling over his people. And his kingdom brings peace, peace between the nations. That's what the prophecy is saying. It's interesting, you know, there's a, in front of the United Nations, uh, there was a statue that, that you can find if you've been to New York. The um, um, statue was put there in 1959. And the statue was meant to symbolize man's desire to put an end to war, to convert the means of destruction into creative tools for the benefit of mankind. It's called, let us beat our swords into plowshares. It comes right from the mouth of the prophecy. And it's, a, it's, it's, it's the good desire of human beings that there be peace on earth. It's a good, that's a good desire. Unfortunately, the United Nations is supposed to bring that to, pe- to, to, to pass, and so far, it's, they haven't done it, in case you haven't noticed. See, true, lasting peace starts first with the church of God, the people of God, and it will come to the world when Jesus, the Prince of Peace, returns to this world in glory to rule in justice and love. See, the kingdom of God is present, but it's future as well. It's a present reality among his people, those who know that he's king, but it's a future reality for those who don't yet know that he is king. So this ultimate fulfillment is still future, this third ultimate fulfillment. Obviously, this this prophecy goes beyond the restoration of the Jews to their city. N.T. Wright, one other quote from him. Israel's God is celebrated as king in Jerusalem, in his home, in the temple. And second, when Israel's God is enthroned as king, the nations are brought under his rule. Israel rejoices, but all the other nations will be included as well. Sometimes it seems that they will be punished for all their wickedness, particularly their oppression of Israel, but sometimes too, so that they may be brought in to share the life of God's people and join in with Israel's praise of the one true God. Indeed, the whole creation will join in the celebration. When God is king, the result is proper justice, real equity, the removal of all corruption and oppression. They understood that the nations would be involved. They weren't sure exactly what that meant, which is why in the New Testament they didn't totally understand what Jesus was doing. But he made bringing the nations and bringing the broken people in to his kingdom. <coughs> the kingdom has already begun through the church. Do you understand that? Through Jesus in the church. So are we experiencing the peace of the kingdom that the Prince of Peace brings? Are you doing that? Are you experiencing that? 
And what are you doing to bring about greater peace in Jesus' name? Are you experiencing justice? What are you doing to promote justice in Jesus' name? The kingdom is about justice. In, in, not just in the world, but in your relationships, in, in your other spheres of influence in your life, on the job, in the neighborhood. Justice, order, shalom. It looks like the people are initiating this gathering, but as I said, no, they're not. God is. And he calls people to himself, to come to worship, to come to the temple, to come into this relationship with him, to, to cease putting self first and put him first. And, and this is called repentance. This is what repentance is. It's, it's, to, it's to stop worshiping self and, and, and thinking that life is resolved, revolves around me, but, but to focus on him, knowing that life revolves around him. The earthly temple that we've been talking about is a shadow of the heavenly temple. We saw the scripture verse we chose was Hebrews chapter 12. Let me read again verses 20 through 24. You have come to Mount Zion. And he says, the first word is but, because he's writing to the Jews and who think so much about the temple. He says, but you've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable angels in festal gathering into the assembly of the firstborn, who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, you've come to God, the judge of all, the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and you've come to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, the blood of Christ, that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See, the earthly temple is just a shadow. So when we, so when we worship God right now, we don't have to regret that we're not in Jerusalem at a temple. We don't have to regret that because we're worshiping the Lord of heaven and we're entering into the worship of heaven when we worship him, even, him, even here. And by his spirit, he is here and he's gathering his people. You know, there's an ultimate gathering, though. Re Revelation 21, Revelation 21, verse 22 and following. John says, he's describing the new Jerusalem. He says, I saw no temple in that city. Its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day. There will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it. Or anyone who does what's detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. There it is. It's your name written in the Lamb's book of life. Have you trusted in Jesus Christ so that you can enter into the temple? <laughs> the new Jerusalem. The real temple. Last fall, Tara and I attended a wedding. In fact, it was up in... Um, the Appalachians of uh, Kathy and James. James in here. They aren't here today. Uh, in the Appalachian Hills of Southwest Virginia, and uh, it reminds me of a wedding that we that I actually officiated in a couple couple years ago in uh, in Colorado uh, for Lucas and Debbie Dyke, who they're in, in, in England now. But um, <clears throat> it was at the YMCA camp in the Rockies, 
I'd never been to, the, to that part of the rock. That's the highest I've ever been <laughs> in terms of mountains. I mean, it was, it was up there. My ears were popping and, you know. Um, so we flew to Denver. We got the rental car that evening and um, headed up the mountain as the directions instructed us to do. And lo and behold, we came to a, a place that said detour. And we said, okay, which way are we going to go? And uh, it, 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 there was an arrow. We said, is the arrow pointing that way or that way? Well, we took a chance. We took a wrong chance. And it was getting late, and um, so we're going up the mountain. We're hoping we're on the right road. We, weren't, we, we, we found out, um, we said, well, why don't we, you know, we had instructions. Well, let's plug the GPS in. Well, we plugged the GPS in, and of course, it didn't work because we couldn't get a, get a signal. That's how high up we were. Couldn't call nobody. Could, the, the G, if, if the GPS could have talked to us, it would have said, you're on your own, buddy. I mean, you know, there, you know there, we, okay, so what are we going to do? It's getting late. We're, you know, and of course, we're from, we're from Maryland. We think about, yeah, bears in Colorado. So all that's going on. So finally, we, we made it to our destination, and, and everything went well. The wedding went well. I have a picture. That's, that's, that, that's the beautiful Rockies, and that's uh, that they have a, it's the YMCA camp. They had a wonderful uh, uh, site there. But um, we found our way to the top of the mountain and had a great celebration. Some people think they can find God by their own effort. They think if they just head up the mountain and start up any old road, they can reach the top. There are many people who never reach the top of the mountain, never get to the place of true worship in the temple because they think they're on the right road, but they're not. Or they know they're not on the right road, but they're stubborn and don't want to get on the right road. They want to say, maybe this road takes me there too. We only get to the top by being on the right road. You know, they came to Jesus on the Last Supper day and said, you're going to the Father. Okay, we understand you're going to the Father. How can we get to the Father? And Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You get to the temple. You get to, to God. You get to, to Jesus through Jesus. He's the way. He's the path to true worship. He's the object of true worship. The simple question, are you part of God's end gathering? God is gathering your people throughout history. He sovereignly put you in history during this time of history. Are you part of his end gathering? So that in that great day, we sang the days of Elijah, when he comes, that day, day when he comes, will you be part of that end gathering? The people of God who are worshiping him forever and ever as we see in Revelation. Let's pray. Lord, you are indeed the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and you are coming again. So we sit in this, this very unique time of history, after your first coming, before your second coming, in this era where we know what we need to do. And we're told, don't resist the grace of God. Lord, I would pray for anyone here who who is struggling with what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Maybe there's something that's holding them back, something in their mind, something in their life that they don't want to totally commit to Jesus. By your Holy Spirit, Lord, soften that heart. Break that, 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 that bond that they might give you a, a, a chance to be their Lord and Savior. Well, you're drawing people. You, that's what you do when your word goes forth. Pray that you would do that work in our hearts that we might give you thanks and give you praise and rejoice with the angels of heaven in Jesus' name.
Amen.